Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. So hermeneutics for our lens is really, really important. So this is, this is bedrock, foundational information that we're starting this, probably what will be years-long periodic series of engaging the issues of our times, of our culture, as well as our community. We began last month in September, and in that, we kind of introduced with three kind of trusted sources that inform our hermeneutic, our lens, how we see. We talked about Scripture. Scripture is the written Word of God. We hold that it was inspired by God. We hold that it was preserved by God. I mean, if you ever really want to get excited about Scripture, dig, dive into how God has prever- uh, preserved the Scriptures. Scripture is vitally important in the life of a follower of Jesus. We talked about Jesus, the Son of God, our Redeemer, our Teacher, our Mentor, the Head of the Church. The Word of God, according to Scripture, who became human. Became flesh. So Scripture refers to Him as the living and active Word of God, who now inhabits us, and whom we are admonished in Scripture to inhabit. The word Jesus used for this was abide. Abide in me. Dwell in me. Inhabit me. Scripture is the record of God's revelation. Jesus is God's revelation. One is a means through which we see. The other is that which we are to see. Christ Both wonderful gifts to us. We looked at some scripture. Hebrews, it says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of God's being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The Apostle Paul came alongside this admonition with all kinds of teachings like imitate me, he said to the church in Corinth, as I imitate Christ. It's a bold thing to say. Imitate me, he said, as I imitate Christ. You can't imitate that which you're not looking at. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus himself said, I only do what I see my Father do. Did you hear that? I only do what I see my Father doing. Then Paul wrote, since then you've been raised with Christ. He's, he's, he wants to rift on this theme of resurrection of Jesus. Since we've been raised with Christ, he says, set your heart and your mind on things above. Why on things above? Because that's where Jesus is. Now, he says that's where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
Christ is to reside at our center of our lives as individuals and in our community. He is the head. We have these amazing gifts from God. One, the written word. Two, the living and active word. They're amazing. We've been gifted with this. The creative word of God who became flesh, who now lives in us, among us, for us. There's a third source we only mentioned. We didn't get very far about that. This source is the Holy Spirit. Ironically, the Holy Spirit is sometimes also referred to as the Word of God. But it's a different word in the original language. It's not logos, which is often used for Jesus. It's, anybody know it? It's called prema. The word means breath. It can mean wind. For example, in Hebrews 4.12, it says the word is living and active. The word is prema. It's wind. It's spirit. It's all over the New Testament. The Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to look at for a few minutes this morning. So I'm going to make it just a few kind of big summary statements. One of the hard things about this particular message, which, by the way, uh, I don't know if this will prove to be true, but as I've prepared, this has felt like one of the most important messages I've ever given. But the Holy Spirit is the one who gives spiritual birth into the believer. When we place our confidence, our mind, our heart, trust in Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit who brings life to us. Jesus has this very interesting exchange with this Jewish leader named Nicodemus, and he goes there with him and, and says, unless the Spirit comes to inhabit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. It's not possible. It's the Holy Spirit that God gives to every believer. It's the Spirit that actually comes and inhabits. It's His Spirit in our spirit. And it's the Spirit that does that for the church. The Spirit animates, brings to life, brings motion, movement. The Spirit energizes. The Spirit equips the church to become like Jesus. We are His body. We are to become like Jesus. Do you think that's possible? Think about that for a minute. Is it really possible for us to become like Jesus? Or is that some, something reserved for after we die? Is that one day, someday? The Holy Spirit is equipping us so that we might become mature and become like Jesus and fulfill our mission. In summary, the Holy Spirit is a distinct presence. The Holy Spirit is part of the personhood of God that theologians call the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I want us to, we're going to shift for a moment. And uh, Jordan, you can come on up. Uh, I want us to participate.
and listen for a moment. We're going to practice a liturgy together. We're going to listen to, uh, to some words from Jesus. I'll read those. Uh, and I'm going to ask you to stand in a minute and read those with me. They'll be on the overhead. And then, strangely perhaps, I took some words from an old Scottish missionary that Jordan's going to read for us. Not really, they weren't written in direct response to the scriptures I'm going to read, but I think they do a good job of bringing some, some flesh to them. Uh, this, this guy was a late 19th century, I think he was born right after the Civil War, he's Scottish, and he was a chaplain during World War I. You may know him, his name was Oswald Chambers. He wrote a very famous, maybe the most famous devotional book ever written. It was called My Upmost for His Highness. So Jordan will be reading a few excerpts from Oswald Chambers. I'll be reading a few excerpts from Jesus. I get I got Jesus. <laughs> what guys stand? I'll read and then. So if you, you can read with me, the scriptures should be at the top. I hope you can read that. There's a lot to fit on one slide. Uh, so hopefully you can. Can you see that, Joel? The top? Okay. Uh, so if you'll read with me, and then Jordan kind of will respond uh, from Oswald Chambers. Let's go. If you love me, keep my commands. I will ask the Father, and he will send you another advocate to help you and believe with you forever, the spirit of the truth. I claim the fulfillments of God's promises, and rightly, but that is only the human side. The divine side is that through the promises, I recognize God's claim on me. I am realizing that my body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. By sanctification, the Son of God is formed in me, and I have to transform my natural life into a spiritual life by obedience to Him. God educates us down to the scruple. When he begins to check, do not confer with flesh and blood. Cleanse yourself at once. I must cleanse myself of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit until both are in accord with the nature of God. I have the responsibility of keeping my spirit with his spirit. And by degrees, Jesus lifts me up to where he lived. Let's read again. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. If we are not heedful of the way the Spirit of God works in us, we will become spiritual hypocrites. We will see where other folks are failing and turn our discernment into the jive of criticism instead of into intercession on their behalf. The revelation is made to us not through the acuteness of our minds, but by the direct penetration of the Spirit of God. And if we are not heedful of the source of the revelation, we will, becoming, we will become criticizing sinners. Take care lest you play the hypocrite by spending all your time trying to get others right before you worship God yourself. When we discern that people are not going on spiritually and allow the discernment to turn into criticism, we block our way to God. God never gives us discernment in order that we may criticize, but that we may intercede. When the advocate comes, I will send the Father, the Spirit, the truth, 
that his spirit would be with them. This was no small promise that he's making here. And he's not pontificating a theological statement so much. He's promising the presence of God. The Apostle Paul said it this way, he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Guaranteeing what is to come. I think that's just worth pausing for a minute and just being with that statement. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. His presence in us. That, have, that has this purpose of like solidifying and anchoring and, and rooting us in the life of God in such a way that there's these seeds of eternity in us guaranteeing what is to come. We're, we're starting to taste eternity with the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're starting to live in and dwell in what's going to be true. If we could only see that. Brian made an interesting comment to me a few weeks ago as I, we were talking about this particular message. Brian paused and said, I'm not sure I've ever heard a sermon on the Holy Spirit. He said, in all my years of going to church, I'm not sure I've heard one just explicitly on the Holy Spirit. I was spending some time with a friend several months ago who has spent decades studying the scriptures. And he really knows them well. He confessed to me, I don't think I know anything or very much about what it means to be living in the spirit of God, guided by his presence. There seems to be a cautious nervousness, especially in our evangelical stream about the Holy Spirit. Perhaps we need to grapple with that and do, do business with that. After all, now I've lost this one, haven't I? No? Okay. This sounds like it to me. After all, we hold theologically that the Holy Spirit is God. Do we not? Do we not read in our Bibles when John the Baptist came? He said, there's one coming after me of whom I'm not worthy to even tie his shoes. That will not just baptize you with water like I do, but he'll baptize you how? In the Holy Spirit. He's going to immerse you into the life of God. Did not Jesus begin his ministry by standing up into that Galilean synagogue? Putting the shawl on his head, asking for the scroll of Isaiah, unrolling it, and reading this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Do we not see in our Bibles the Holy Spirit coming on every new believer in Jesus? Do we not hear the word of God saying our bodies are temples, dwelling places of the Holy Spirit of God? 
The Holy Spirit is Christ with us. And Jesus' vision as he's talking to his disciples undoubtedly is that the sense of the presence of God that those 12 disciples had, like when they're with Jesus, they like this growing awareness is, oh my goodness, this is God with us. Jesus' vision is that would continue in the lives of those who came after him to the next generation and the next generation all the way to us. Oh my, this is God with us. Secondly, the Spirit is our teacher and our guide. Jesus says in John 14, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you all things and he will remind you of everything I've said. These words really lift out. They stand up. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send will teach you all things. Jesus taught that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We, he taught that he would bear witness, which we'll talk about more. He would be an agent of conviction, of, of like realigning where our lives are offline and restore us. There's, there's so much misalignment and feelings of distortion in our lives and community. And Jesus is there standing up and saying, the Holy Spirit will restore. Though you walk through the fire, the prophet wrote, you won't be burned. He didn't say the fire is not coming. He's not saying the rivers aren't going to rise. He's saying, you're okay. He said the Spirit would empower us. We must learn the ways of walking in step with the Spirit of God. He is our teacher and our guide as individuals, as a community. I had a mentor, uh, one of those informal mentors. I never asked him to mentor me. He never told me he wanted to mentor me. I worked for him. He was kind of a local celebrity in the town we lived in. He was a musician. And he taught me so much about listening to the voice of God in my life. No one has ever helped me more. I think the thing that I most learned from my friend Ernest is that the voice of God is not every time, but most frequently a still quiet voice within. And, and it takes some practice and experience to learn to listen, to recognize that voice. And especially to distinguish it. You ever feel like, I don't know if this is my own thought or this is God? It takes some doing to learn to distinguish those voices, which is God. Which is God living in me and it's partly my thoughts and partly... He has my friend Ernest taught me more about that. Dallas Willard used to say the Holy Spirit of God has a distinct quality. It has a distinct spirit. It has distinct content. By quality, he says it carries a certain weight of authority, the voice of God. It's a steady and calm force in our lives. 
It has a distinct spirit. It's one of peace. It's one of confidence. It's one that gives joy and reasonableness and goodwill even in the midst of uncertainty and trouble. God's voice may disrupt our lives, but the quality of the voice itself is one that nurtures trust and confidence and assurance. So if the voice you're hearing is not doing that, you can rest assured it's not his. He may ask you to do something hard. He may ask you to change your life in a meaningful way. But in the voice, there will be a sense of, you can sit here with me and rest. You can trust me with this. And then content. The voice of the Holy Spirit will always be consistent with the witness of Scripture. Always. So sometimes we, as the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17, we have to check out what we think we might be hearing with the content of Scripture. If it contradicts the clear teaching of Scripture, you know. If it's in alignment with, you know that's His voice. We should be suspicious of any voice that is contrary to the content, the spirit, and the quality of the voice of God. I invite you, if you have not begun the journey of training to hear the voice of God in your life, now's the time. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is such a prominent figure as teacher and guide to the point that is often seen as controlling the life of the believer, influencing to the point that in Acts we see people being accused of being intoxicated. It's easy to get the idea that when we hear that, that means people are just acting silly or they're bumbling and stumbling all over. And, you know, there may be outlying times in, in this situation in Acts 2. It wasn't a very odd event. People were speaking in languages they'd never learned. But I don't think that's the core teaching of the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. It means we're being guided. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he, he, he played on this drunkenness thing. He says, don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be what? Filled with the Spirit. My favorite verse on this whole theme is comes from the prophet Ezekiel. If Jesus is our teacher and guide, listen to this. Ezekiel speaking some 500 years before the coming of Christ. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. And I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, the Holy Spirit isn't here to teach us to, to be strange. I mean, we may be strange. It's okay if you are. Get in the boat with me. It's, 
there to show us how to live this abundant kingdom life that Jesus is trying to make available to us. Last point. The Spirit bears witness to Jesus. And so we bear witness to Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, He will testify about me. And you must also testify, He says. Boy, there's weight in this, isn't there? And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Do you see the connection he's making? You've been with me. The Spirit is going to be with you. Let me read the last quote again that Jordan read from Oswald Chambers. The abiding characteristic of a spiritual person is the interpretation of Jesus Christ to himself. And the interpretation to others. The one concentrated passion of the life is Jesus Christ. Whenever you meet this note in someone, you feel he or she is after God's own heart. That's what drew me to my friend Ernest decades ago. There was this intangible quality and spirit and tone of his life. That I didn't know what it was, but I said, whatever that is, I want it. It looks like Jesus to me, and I want to learn it. Chambers goes on to say, never allow anything to deflect you from insight into Jesus Christ. It is the test whether you are spiritual or not. To be unspiritual means that other things have a growing fascination on you. That's such an important sentence. Other things have a growing fascination for you. And Jesus said to his disciples, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll bear witness of me. Starting right here, right now. And then cascading to the ends of the earth. I want, to, I want to close or start closing with some of the Apostle Paul's clearest, most compelling words, at least for me, in all of Scripture. He's describing to the church in Corinth the source of their confidence. He says, this confidence is ours through Christ before God. He says, we're not comp competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. But our competency comes from God. God has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Then he says this really interesting thing that we don't have time to unpack. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I may be wrong about this, but I suspect 
that at least some of our cautious nervousness about the Holy Spirit is because control is taken from us if we choose to live a life filled with God's Spirit. We don't get to control it anymore. That was the old way of the code. The law was given and we figured out how to codify life, religious life, how to create order and control in it. it that wasn't the intent of the law. It never was. It's just what we do with it. We always make the written code into a way of control. But the prophet Ezekiel said, the day's coming when the law will be put in the heart and it'll be a spirit of flesh. I suspect our nervousness, mine included, is that we're not sure we want a life we can't control. I think one of the most profound lessons of life is that you don't get to control yours. But here's the gospel. The good news of the gospel is A, you don't get to control your life. You don't need to. You don't have to. You can't, so stop trying. The Holy Spirit of God has been given through Jesus in this new way of living called the kingdom of God that animates us, energizes us, equips us. And then I want to say one more thing because I think it's so very important. It's always been important. I think it's especially important. Now, the Spirit of Christ gives peace. I've told you these things, Jesus said in John 16, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I mean, don't you love those three words? But take heart. Jesus said, I've overcome it. I've overcome the world. God's peace is available to us any time, no matter what we're dealing with. The way of the world with our anxiety is medication. It's to somehow make it go away. Don't hear me say taking medication for anxiety is always wrong. I, I've had to do it in my life. There was a time in my life, like, I, I just thought of this analogy before I came up here. I wanted, I, I was in a lot of anxiety, and that looked like the only way out, was to go out the door. And that, and that meant filling my life, medicating my life that would help me not have to deal with the anxiety whether it's denying the things I've thought about or, or, or escaping in some way. And then I learned that God was calling me 
a different, to a different way. And it was a really scary way for me. And it was to sit with him in my anxiety. Not to medicate it. That was really hard to stop doing. But it was to sit with him with it. And let him meet me with it. Invite him into my life right there. Again, don't hear me saying there's, there aren't times for med medical help. There is. And sometimes we need that. That's not, that's not sin. But when I first heard that invitation from him, what I wanted to do, and this is because I was a human being, I wanted to make sure where I was sitting with him was right next to the door. Right? Just in case I couldn't handle this. I'm a human being. Maybe some of you are there. As I've learned to sit with my anxiety, he keeps calling me to a different place. And it's taken me so long to learn it. But what, I, what I've learned with is I don't have to form strategies to eliminate the anxiety. I can just learn to sit with Jesus with it. And lo and behold, as I've learned that way over time, the anxiety has diminished. This still pops up. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me, in me, you might have peace. God's spirit gives peace. And prayer is the language of his spirit. It's talking to God about our lives with him, inviting him into that place. There's so much more I wish we could say we will one day about the Holy Spirit. But living a Christ-centered life is not possible. For he's with us, he's our teacher, our guide, he's bearing witness to Jesus. And though the waters rise, and though the flames be hot, he remains with us. And I think sometimes the worst thing for us is for him to allow us to just escape through the side door. I think the best thing often is, Lord, I, I, okay, I'll sit and rest, but it's going to be right by the door. I think sometimes he's like, if that's what you need to do, that's okay. I think he'll call you deeper and deeper into his presence. I think that's how he works with us. That's the process of becoming like Jesus. By the way, Jesus prayed once, Father, if it's possible, open a side door for me. Remember that? Take this from me. But then he surrendered, didn't he? And he picked up the chair and he moved it to the center and said, not my will, but yours. Have your way with me. He wants to teach us that way. Let's pray together. Lord, you never promised that we weren't going to have trouble. 
that we weren't going to have fire or rising waters in our lives. That's often what we want. We're human. Lord, you understand that. You experienced those impulses, those temptations, those feelings to escape. Lord, you've shown us the way, and that way is called the cross. But by dying to those places where we want what we want, where we want to escape, we want to give in to the inclinations of our flesh and coming before you, Lord, your spirit does something. Lord, it does something as an individual. Lord, it does something as a community as we come before and say, Lord, we're sure we got all kinds of stuff wrong around here. But Lord, we're asking you to meet us right where we're at and help us to sit with you. Help us to be in your presence. Lord, give us grace for we need it. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for sending it. Thank you for indwelling us, for inhabiting us with your presence. It's our hope. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's really struggling, longing to be inhabited by you, Lord, make them take a step today. Help them. Whether that's asking for clarification or wanting more or maybe dropping to their knees and crying out for help. Give them the courage and the strength to do it. God, you are real and you're with us. So show that person the next step through your Holy Spirit, through your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.